Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are here for the third episode of our feminism series. We're going to talk about all the amazing women in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I can't believe we're here. This is like a dream come true. I really think that this is the series that has the most amount of women in it until Discovery also. Yeah. So women. it's kind of, it feels kind of like a pyramid to me where we're getting more and more women and then we'll <laughs> get less as we continue oh, going on. Yeah. But uh, DS9 is such a peak in every way for really the Star Trek is. franchise. So I'm so excited to talk about these women today. Oh, same. I am absolutely thrilled. And um, Ashlyn, I just want to thank you for coming on this feminism journey with me, you know, and, ta- and taking time to talk about these awesome ladies and people who have like shaped star trek and i just feel like deep space nine does this so well and these women really shape the rest of star trek yeah i totally agree and i also feel like the series is really important to be doing um because at least from my perspective i feel like i'm looking at things even more differently like now that we've been talking about feminism so much i just saw the most recent batman movie which Mm -hmm. is the batman and it was great, but I was thinking a lot about feminism in it. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I think it's just an important series that we're doing. So uh, thank you for coming up with this wonderful idea. You're welcome. I'm just happy to be here. Really. <laughs> I also have to say that this is a recording that took a long time to set up. There were so many issues <laughs> and we rarely get to do late night after dark recordings these days. So I'm also just happy to spend a late night with you, Rihanna, because Same. I feel like we're the last shift on the radio station and cars are going home <laughs> and we're they're like, what's even playing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when we're lit, like sometimes maybe weird people who are like, we're like we're just gonna talk about women for a while yeah (laughs) yeah so thank you all for tuning in tonight (laughs) yeah seriously ashley do we have a shout out this week yes so i really want to shout out the funniest frontier podcast they are a podcast that we interact with a lot on twitter and whenever people throw out suggestions of great star trek podcasts they are always tagging us on lists and so i really feel like they are a kind of staple of the star trek community especially on twitter because they are constantly promoting amazing podcasts and you should go check out their lists because everybody that they suggested is fire so yeah so thank you funniest frontier podcast um we are happy to have you as listeners and as um just like a friendly presence on Twitter, which is so rare these days. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so thank you so much. All of their content is amazing. You should go check it out. So, Ashlyn, now let's get into our question Okay, of the day. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I would really like you to start us off because, frankly, I'm in a bind and I have to think on my feet. So, Ashlyn, who in Deep Space Nine drinks the most Respect Women juice? Which man okay. should I say? I too am in a bind because I 
I, it's gotta be Worf, right? I mean, I didn't say him specifically in the Next Generation Feminism podcast that we did with Where's Bev because I feel like he has a lot of learning and growing that he does on TNG, but when he arrives at D Space Nine, oh man, oh man, I just, I love him. And Worf is absolutely my favorite character because of DS9. And I have to say, like, he respects the women, you know? Um, yeah, also, it was a delight. I'm, I mean, we're going to list these episodes in a second, but we did watch Far Beyond the Stars for this podcast, and mm. it was a delight seeing Michael Dorn, oh, just in the flesh. It's mm. <laughs> Although he did not drink his juice in that episode. No, he sure didn't. He threw that juice out. Also, uh, he did not drink yeah. his juice in that episode where they go to Ryza, but really, beyond that, he's chugging it. Yeah, that that's what I'm thinking. He skipped so, juice day. <laughs> <laughs> only every once in a while. Yeah. So, Ariana, on Deep Space Nine, who do you th- who do you think drinks the most respect women juice? So, you know, it's got to be Cisco. Yeah. I think that the more I think about it, the clearer answer it becomes for me. Like, especially watching these episode episodes and watching Cisco interact with all of these amazing women his crew members, his team, his family, you know, it's just amazing to see how much he respects, like, I mean, he's just chugging the juice, like, he goes to Quark's bar, and he orders respect women juice, like, all the time, and I don't know, I just really like, there's one particular moment where Cisco, um, there's this, like, annoying admiral, as usual, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, yelling at Cisco and Kira steps in and says something and he's like I'm not talking to you right now major and then Cisco goes no now you are talking to her oh and then boom and then Kira of course like hits him down with her like amazing <laughs> like amazing comebacks so anyway I just love Cisco for that those kind of moments he just continuously shows and it's just amazing so that's my answer yeah, he was who I was going between yeah, uh, with him and Worf. Mm-hmm. I will say, I just want to do a quick shout out to Rom because he might chug the most oh, juice of all. Oh my god. I know, I I really did think about Rom too. I really didn't till just now. So <sighs> I'm maybe proclaiming him. Yeah. Anyway, he's an honorable mention at the least. At the, yeah, at the very least. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, Rihanna... We have, okay, so as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, there are a lot of women on Deep Space Nine, and so we are not going to be discussing every single woman. Like, we left out Kai Wynn. I wonder yeah. why. <laughs> Go check out our villain series, that's why. Oh, yeah, exactly. We have a very we thorough, extremely, <laughs> it's like our one of our longest episodes, yes, <laughs> thorough, literally. talking yeah. about her. Right now, we are going, I'm going to go ahead and list off. Are you ready? Yeah, I just want to say, like, we didn't really do any, like, single characters from an episode. Like, we have sometimes done with the, because there's just more women who are reoccurring, which is amazing. Yes, thank you. That's a great addition to the comment. And also, uh, just a sign of the times, you know, that it's not like women are guest stars as much. It's like they're actually part of the crew. Thank you, so true. All right, so we are first going to talk about Keiko, and for that, we watched In the Hands of the Prophets. Then we're going to go on to Cassidy, where we watch scenes from Far Beyond the Stars. And also, Cassidy's just, you know, always here with us. So, Literally, yeah. Um, um, 
And then for Lita, we watch scenes from Ferengi love songs. And then we go on to Kai Opaka, who is an honorable Kai to mention. Yes, true. Where we watched Battle Lines, Zial, we watched Sacrifice of Angels. Then on to Esri, where we saw After Image, Kira, Duet, Second Skin, The Darkness and the Light, Shadows and Symbols. And we will wrap up with Dax, Jadzia Dax, I should say, where we watched Blood Oath, Equilibrium, and You Are Cordially Invited. I'm cordially inviting everyone to come talk about these women. Uh, this was a long list, folks, but we felt like we couldn't leave out a single episode. And, I mean, it was hard to narrow it down because it really there are, are so many fantastic episodes. And I, all of the Kira ones were sad. That's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> but incredible still. Yeah, exactly. All right, Rihanna, do you want to start us off with Keiko? I would love to. So I first want to mention we did talk a great deal about Keiko in our family series and our love and affection series. She's just awesome and so she's always a hot topic. (laughs) And this time we are talking about her in The Hands of the Prophets. I wanted to specifically mention her in this episode because she is so important to like the station's well-being she's the one who comes up with the idea to have a school on deep space nine which is crazy that there's kids living there and no one thought of that and there's empty space like what and so she does she's like an incredible teacher and in this episode she has to face like a lot of adversity and so i just think it's genius to talk about like our female teachers and just the people who are like helping our kids and Oh, she's just incredible. So, well, yeah. yeah, and especially because she's someone who stepped up in a situation that really needed someone to step up, and she was the one. I think that about parents who have been forced to kind of become teachers during the pandemic, trying to yeah. homeschool their kids. I think about teachers who have been dealing with nonstop changes in their classroom and off the classroom, and just the you know how awful virtual learning is especially for elementary school students yeah um so thank you yeah to all the teachers who have had to be uh, adaptable and flexible during the past two years even if you didn't expect to become a teacher and this is exactly what happens with keiko because she doesn't have any prior experience i don't Mm -hmm. think um she's known as a botanist and she's been married to o'brien since the next generation in season five we know that they can like have a rocky relationship Mm -hmm. but also it is strong relationship and they go through a lot as a couple and really grow together so at this point when do space night begins she's only on the station because o'brien got this position as uh as chief Mm -hmm. you know historic um and so she also you know just more being flexible in this situation is having to kind of find a new career or a secondary career just to adapt to the situation and i think it's awesome that it's teaching so So cool yay keiko yeah she's really cool and the way that she steps up in this episode because this is her uh facing off with kai win essentially and it's horrible because the school gets bombed and luckily no one is hurt but it's like of course still very traumatizing for her keiko is teaching a class about the wormhole and that's of course when kai win walks in and she hears keiko saying that the wormhole is stable because of these particles and it's man-made and it's really advanced and she's explaining the science behind it kai win hears that 
and she's she's angry because she thinks that yes it was man-made but it was man-made by the prophets uh not these particles like not science um and uh she really uses this tiny incident to cause a stir on Deep Space Nine. And I don't even think that if the Kai hadn't been there, or not the Kai, because she's not the Kai. Wait, we're saying, oh my God, Rihanna, we're saying Kai win, and she's Vedic win. I'm so sorry if you're in the middle of DS9. (laughs) But I don't even think that these people would have had a problem with Keiko's teaching if it wasn't for Vedic win, turning everything into politics and also using religion to shape the space station, which is, yeah, it's just a really complicated issue. And I really think it's interesting because at the beginning of the episode, Kira is totally behind Wynn and saying that she's on her side. And even though even though Wynn is from a Orthodox group, um, she's totally right about the wormhole and it's bad for Keiko to be teaching otherwise. So this is really a point of contention. Uh, and also... Kira saying that I trust her to win just doesn't age well. <laughs> Not at all. I was cringing <laughs> so hard. I was yeah. like, oh lord. So the switch of course happens when the school is bombed and the Vedic starts to come to these really drastic decisions to try to get um, Vedic Brile to come to the station. Like it's just a ploy really to like bring Brile into the open. And so it's just, like, so so horrible that Keiko is caught in the middle of this. So she stays really strong, and her, like, she's really fierce will. And so I love that she then teaches the remaining kids uh, about Galileo, and Jake is, like, so fascinated. He's like, did you know that this happened to Galileo? And for teaching that the Earth goes around the sun, you know, and so... I just think it's really cool that she uses that as a teaching opportunity instead of, like, you know, lashing out at Vedic Win or, you know, really trying to, like, pit the students against each other. She's just sort of like, this is what happens, you know, when, like, there's this difference of opinion with religion. <laughs> <laughs> I can't touch this. I can't touch this. I'm sorry. I'm too atheistic. Yeah. No, I mean, that it's... It's a interest. It's a conflict of interest that happens all over the world, and in the United States, we face this all the time. Uh, yeah. Where, like, you know, when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you say "In God We Trust," and some people don't like that. Some people do. Yeah. I, th- I mean, the thing that's so interesting, and we don't, you know, we don't have to go into Bajoran religion. Sure. But I, I mean, honestly, if I was Bajoran, I would believe in the prophets <laughs> because they're freaking there in yeah, the in the wormhole, are. you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of these religions that are like low-key true in Star Trek. Yeah. And um, I mean, Landru, that's who I believe in. <laughs> he is the highest god. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. Anyway, um, I can't speak on religion. <laughs> we have to move on. This is like, anyway, Oh, so one of my, my actually favorite part of this whole episode is when... Well, it's two parts. So when uh, Miles and Keiko are going to go get the Jumja sticks yeah. and O'Brien can't get one because the guy isn't selling to them, yeah. O'Brien is like ready to fight. Yes. He's like that meme with the phaser and it's like, and then I went out and start, or I, then I started <laughs> blasting. Yeah. 
Literally, that's yeah. so O'Brien. He was, like, going to smack that guy for not giving him the gender stick. And it, it was, like, one second. Like, yeah. he didn't even talk to him. So that part cracked me up. Oh, it was same. like, why is O'Brien so violent? I think O'Brien took a shot of uh, irrespect women juice and then <laughs> was ready to fight that man. He got a shot of I'm a protective husband juice yeah. and you don't F with my wife juice. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is, like, good. I'm glad he's chugging that juice. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone should. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, then, of course, the scene that immediately follows is when Wynn and um, Keiko kind of face off at the school. And Wynn is saying, oh, I've been talking to all the parents. And they say that you're a wonderful teacher, Keiko. And I'm sorry if I've misjudged you. So will you not talk about the prophets? Or so will you not talk about science and the wormhole? And Keiko says, no, like I'm yeah. not teaching Bajoran spiritual I'm not teaching, yeah, Bajoran spiritual classes at the school. And, you know, Wynn is angry and she's like, why? Fine. She's so manipulative. I just hate her so much. And especially when she says, oh, I can see, like, you're not going to do this, but I forgive you. Like, oh, like, she's so holy. I'm getting getting angry. Um, But I just love that Keiko is so strong in Mm -hmm. this clearly outrageous accusation and yeah, and she really inspires me, actually. Watching it today, because I, like, crammed all these episodes today. Yeah. Um, I was really inspired by Keiko. Same. She is so amazing in this and just reminds me of her willingness to sort, like, to, to get to the root of the problem and, like, take things head on instead of shying away from a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know who that reminds me of, Rihanna? Who? Cassidy. Great transition. <laughs> I do realize I'm looking at this list of women. We have a lot of wives on the list. So Cassidy is also yes. a wife. Um, only only for a little while. Oh, Rihanna. No, no, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, not for the entire show. Well, yeah. But, I mean, she's, like, introduced as a romantic interest. Yeah, true. Which is how a lot of these women get on the screen. About half of them, I think. Yeah. But not, not that that's bad, but it's just mm-hmm. something to note. um so cassidy yates my mom i love her she is someone that and again like go listen to our love and affection series we talked so much about Mm -hmm. cassidy but she's someone that i really loved from her first introduction when jake was trying so hard to get them to me and he kept saying i know this is gonna work i know Mm -hmm. this is gonna be awesome um something that i love about cassidy is she too is really sure of herself and confident in her ability because she runs a freighter like it she just like does a job that is typically male and is typically like a hard maybe physical job where you have to be really smart you have to like all you have to be book smart and street smart yeah and like really a good communicator maybe a diplomat because you're running all of this you know you're shipping stuff from planet to planet it's 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 a rough job i love that we get to see her tough side on that end and then we also get to see her sweet and caring and affectionate side when she's with cisco and i just i love her so much it's so cool to see Sorry, my cat is screaming. Archer, Archie wants to join. Archer also. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, it's really cool to see both of their affectionate sides, Cisco and Cassidy, come out. They like flip a switch almost. It's really amazing to see the two of them together. And 
I love what she brings out in Cisco, and I love what he brings out in her. You know, they just they have such a balanced relationship, um, emotionally speaking, too. Like I think she's also not afraid to talk about what she's feeling, and she will be upfront about that. And I think Cisco really appreciates that because neither of them are people to like play a game or beat around the bush. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a really good pair for that reason. We could have chosen quite a few episodes for Cassidy. She's in a really good portion of the show, actually. Um, But we chose Far Beyond the Stars. But I do want to mention before we get to that, that Cassidy did have like a rough time for a while because she um, was sent to prison for like a year, I believe. And um, because she was like smuggling cargo on her freighter. And so when she comes back from that, Cisco and Cassidy just sort of like pick up where they left off and I think that's really beautiful you know that it's not Cisco's not so like unbending about rules and regulations and stuff that he would just like be like no never mind you know I mean like he waited for her and he knew that there was some potential there even though she'd made that mistake and she shouldn't have done that but like I don't know it's just really interesting well I think too wasn't Cisco the one yeah. To, like, make her go to jail. Awful, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think they do have an understanding, and Cisco, eat, like, is so Starfleet mm-hmm. um, that she respects that about him. And so when he says, you broke the law and you have to, you know, ha- suffer the consequences, somehow she didn't take it personally, and they were able to yeah. get back and stay together. But I don't know, it's just something about that understanding between them that made that able to happen. It's really special, yeah. Good for Cisco. Good for Cassidy. I yeah. wow. Just wow. It's great all around. Well and I I I wanna talk about Far Beyond the Stars and like we're gonna have to rail me in because I wanna talk about this whole episode, but of but of course we're just talking about Cassidy here. Um but I really like that we get in the beginning of this episode a quote where she says, I'm fearless and you know that. That's why you love me. That's yes. so great. Like it's right true. away, I'm just like, yes, correct. I love her. I I also thought this first scene was really interesting because we see Cassidy's I don't even know her character in Far Beyond oh, the Stars, Cassie. this wait this waitress. Yeah, okay, Cassie. Cassidy as Cassie is saying that she talked to her boss who's gonna be retiring soon, and she said that she got permission to have the restaurant be sold to her to Cassidy and which like that's a game changer you know that's that's amazing and uh so when she tells Cisco that he is not really pumped because he has been he says like I'm a writer and he's been writing for you know like 12 years these stories he works for 15 years yeah he works in a newspaper office where he publishes like short stories and he thinks that it's I just more of a magazine, like literary magazine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's he's just waiting like for his big break. You know, like he's yeah. gonna he's gonna write the book or he's gonna like sell a story that makes him a lot of money. And so when Cassidy comes to with this news that I found a way to make a lot of money and it's really smart and a great idea, he is feeling so insecure about his own career that he doesn't, I think, doesn't want to fully support her because he says, you don't need to work. I can provide for you. You know, he's dreaming of a better life where she can just like 
just, you know, live (laughs) and not have to make any money. And I understand that. So I just thought that first scene was interesting because I think it's something that people can really relate today, relate to today. And, um, yeah, just, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really cool to see her just like, I don't know. I mean, she's so strong, like she's going through so much and I don't know, she's just doing amazing. Like she's clearly very busy as a waitress like probably always on her feet you know it's just like a very tiring job and she still wants to go out dancing with cisco like that's epic you know i would be like no we're going home you're rubbing my feet and we're going to bed (laughs) like i'm tired af but i don't know i just i love this sort of how she has these two sides like we're saying she has this side that wants to go out and go dancing and the side was also like i also want to own my own business let's go you know and I think it's also so admirable because she's dodging all of the like um, advances that Worf is is bringing Mm -hmm. or is giving her and like it's just amazing because she's juggling so much and also like helping Cisco through his crisis I mean Benny sorry through his Mm -hmm. crisis so yeah it's just amazing yeah it's great and through all the like hallucinations he says he's having like she stands by him Mm -hmm. she doesn't drift away from him because she's you know think he's crazy or something like she sticks with him Mm -hmm. and when he does finally sell one of his short stories and he's making three cents a word he like kisses her a thousand times and he's like three cents a word freaking out she's freaking out too you know um she's not like okay well like you can't do it because i'm opening the restaurant you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's so true yeah yeah she's so supportive and i just i think she's also like I know that not in Far Beyond the Stars, but I'm thinking sort of broadly as well. Like, she's also really amazing for Jake, you know, and just, like, to Jake and everything. And I do like that Jake was sort of the one to set them up because then I think that already puts him at ease, you know? I think it'd be so hard for, like, your parent to have moved on after one of your parents dies, you know, and, like, maybe moving on romantically. And so it's just, like... That would be really difficult to handle, and I think both Jake and Cassidy really gracefully navigate it, and that's, you know, kudos to the both of them, but it's just, it's really cool to see. I I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, absolutely. I think they both do a good job getting to know each other and are friends, and that's what makes it work so well for them once they become family. Yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, so... I have to skip over all the sad parts of Barbie on the Stars. All the parts that are just, like, uh-huh. gut-wrenchingly beautiful. But, I mean, I, I think, too, she, Cassidy is a person who will fight for someone she loves and who will, like, fiercely protect them. And so when Benny is getting beat up by the cops, she literally is, like, being held back. But you know she'd be, like, right there in the fight if she could. And I just, I don't know, I think that that is such a scary situation to be in and so amazing the way that she was just like fighting tooth and nail yeah i totally agree it's just it's like so hard to watch (laughs) yeah it's tough but i keep jumping back but i have another uh, yeah i also want to talk quickly about their cisco and cassie's first time meeting each other um because they both connect through baseball and I think it's just the cutest thing ever because it also shows that like Cassidy is kind of dorky like Cisco in that way of like being really not dorky but just like 
it's nice when you share that common interest as well and um she just gets to let out her sort of like fun loose side that's really cool to see totally dorky rihanna if you're a baseball nerd like a (laughs) hundred years after baseball is happening that's dorky it's not bad it's just dorky i feel like that would be our dad if he was living in 300 years he'd be like so then sammy sosa was found taking drugs and it broke my heart and i'd be like "Mm -hmm, sir (laughs) oh i love that that's beautiful uh, okay, well, let's go on to another um, girlfriend turned wife. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <What a sentence. laughs> this is, you guessed it, Lita. Woo. So we talked about how Rom drinks that respect with a juice. Well, I think that like Lita is really cool because she can also sort of exist outside of Rom. Like Cassidy was made, was like probably written in as just a love interest for Cisco and then bloomed into more as a character but i think it's so cool that lita is kind of there in a lot of the background episodes later on i think they decide to bring her on as a um more of a main character or more of a side character and everything and it's just really cool to see like her verse like how versatile she is i really you know even though it's kind of cringy when her and bashir are dating I really like when they go to Ryza to have their breakup. Like, that's their, like, breakup ritual so that they can talk everything out and then, like, move past it. It's, like, a very healthy way of breaking up because then mm-hmm. there's no, like, pent-up feelings. Um, you just have it out. And if you have to yell at each other, like, okay, but make sure that you resolve it. And so, anyway, I just think that that's cool that she had these, like, you know, it's weird that she's with Bashir. I just didn't like that, but that's fine. I don't that's know. That's every female character with Bashir, <laughs> and that's yeah. how I feel. I'm like, oh, Lord. Whenever they take their turn dating him, I'm like, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been with Garrick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, when she gets back past the Bashir stage, then it's even better because their character gets to really extend. And I also like, too, that Lita works in a, like, as a dabo girl so like it's it's very like sexualized job and which is like always been frustrating to me but i also think that like she's really i don't know she's just really awesome and she does and like she does a job and she's like it's just my paycheck you know like this is just what's happening right now i actually think it she, she's had like i actually think she's a really awesome presence on the mm-hmm. show because Definitely it just represents that women can do jobs like that. Like if it, you know, do whatever empowers you. And if it's being a Dabo girl, any type of job that empowers you, then go for it. And that's what Lita knows that she's good at. And she makes a lot of money doing, and she knows Quark is paying is kind of well. (laughs) Um, But I, obviously it's a stereotype But I think she breaks a stereotype by having a personality and being a 3D character. Agreed. Yeah, just being a a character that everyone can relate to. Uh, One of my favorite moments in Ferengi love songs. So, you know, we learn in this episode that they're getting married. And um, (laughs) when Rom comes into Quark's quarters or their their quarters to um, tell Quark that they are getting married... Quark is depressed and sad and he says his life is terrible like mm-hmm. I don't care about my life anymore because he's been banned from the um 
Ban- from the Ferengi uh, Commerce Authority. Co- yeah, exactly. Has, like, banned him the F- FCA. FCA. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Brunt has screwed him over once again. Yeah. Um, and he's just really depressed. And <laughs> Rom goes on this whole quote, long quote, about how he knows that like there's one person in his life who will always be there for him and who will support him and love him no matter what and has been there for him forever. And of course, we're supposed to believe that he's going to say Lita because that's his yeah. wife to be, but he says Moogie. Yeah. And I really love that moment because Lita's reaction wasn't like grumpy or yeah. angry or jealous or weird about it. She was like, I'd like to meet that person too. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's probably like, oh yeah, like Moogie, of course. Like it's, I, like if she is close with her mom, she probably even understands more. I just feel like it's really healthy to acknowledge that your partner can have multiple support structures too. Yes. And she is not threatened by Rom's relationship with his mom and as he, she shouldn't be yeah yeah there there can be a lot of tension between daughters and mothers-in-laws and anyway so i just love that moment i love that lita was just so chill she knows like their relationship so well and this doesn't make it worse by him not paying her a compliment in that moment yeah wow all that you said was just exquisite like <laughs> that was amazing thank you i think too it's really cute that we get her just like how much to, we get to see how much she loves Rom and also how much she's willing to sacrifice for him and also just like how much she's willing to support him because obviously I think she's pretty thrilled that he's not at your stereotypical Ferengi and I think that's why she chose him and so even when he does he sort of panics it does the whole like prenup thing and they break the wedding off still once he comes to his senses she's immediately like yeah of course I want to marry you still you know and I just love that. Like, she's like, he'll come around. He's just freaking out, is what I'm sort of thinking. But, I mean, also she was very upset because it's, like, crazy, the stuff he was demanding, um, which is common on Ferenginar, which is a whole nother sexism pile of, of you know what. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of, I also just want to shout out Moogie. We did not include yes. her in this watch list, but, I mean, again, we talked about her so much on the family series. Yeah. Um, I just... Uh, Moogie is amazing and she is definitely one of the most underrated D Space Nine characters Agreed. and the absolute feminine icon that Ferenginar needs. Thank uh, you. Yes. I love her so much and she is just a pioneer in every way. She's wearing clothes when women are supposed to be naked. She's making money when women are not supposed to make money. Yep. She is like being really informal with all of the higher ups. She doesn't give a flying she's F. She's dating the Zek. Yeah, she's dating the <laughs> Zek. Exactly. Yeah. And she knows that in her relationship, she was always the smartest one, at least money-wise, with yeah. um, with Rom's dad growing up. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I said the Zek when I met the Grand Nagus Zek. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love Ooh, it. Come back, with, the z- <laughs> <laughs> with the Zek. <laughs> anyway... Ashlyn, yes, thank you for the Moogie shout-out. Shout-out to all those Moogies out there as well. I just love her. I think that the Kira and Lita exchange in Frankie Love Songs is particularly good because she's like, I hate him. She's like, no, you don't. You know, and she and this, this whole banter goes on for a while, and it's just so amazing because, like, I just love her relationships with the other women aboard the station. Like, she gets to know Kira pretty well. She knows Zial. She knows Dax. 
Um, so it's just cool to see. She also has a relationship, even if it's a working relationship with Quark, begrudging relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, also with so much of the station. It's just, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I also, like you said, Rian, I love that scene with her and Kira because I think it made me realize that there was such a contrast between them. They're both Bajoran, and I think the picture that we get of most Bajoran people, and including Bajoran women, is that they've gone through a really awful life and have, like, in a lot of cases, grown up in camps, or in Kira's case, like, fought in the resistance, and has a really kind of traumatizing backstory. And they're really people who are hardy and good at working with not a lot. Um, and Lita is freaking out about her marriage and uh, not it's not that she's more shallow, it's just that she's more innocent, I think, than a lot of the Bajorans that we meet on DS9 or just has like a, I don't know, like really pure heart. And so Agreed. it also made me grateful to see that there's representation for more than just one type of female species. Literally. like you just, can have a yeah. sunshine, sunshine personality and worry about things like your wedding when there's a war going on and get married yeah. on the station right before you evacuate like that's such a scary day you never know if you're gonna see your husband again like or when and so but she just is like yeah i want to be married let's go and I mean, she's like freaking out about wedding stuff and like cisco please will you marry us when i i love it because that adds such a sense of normalcy to the situation yes. that is otherwise completely not normal exactly and i think that helps to stabilize the crew too it's like Absolutely. okay like the world is falling apart, but Ram and Lita are getting married, so we gotta, like... <laughs> we gotta at least, like... Yeah. We gotta help out. Yeah, that's yeah. so beautiful. I love that. Because there can be always that contrast, and such so much of life is that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the first non-romantic character. Ooh. Wow, we're finally here. This, of course... Of course. <laughs> um, ah, of course. Of course. This is Kai Opaka. Yes. A.K.A. the best Kai. The best Kai, TM. Um, <laughs> tell your friends. Uh, she was a Kai in season one. Battle Lines. Mm-hmm. Season one, episode 12. So she did not stay until season two. This is her last episode. And except for, I think she she might appear in like a vision or something later. But <laughs> you the- know, those prophets, they're always bringing back people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this I just had to include because I, before we started the feminism series, I started rewatching Deep Space Nine from the beginning because I was like, I just need something I can watch in order. And it I think has while to be we Star were, Trek. And while we were doing the movie series too, we yeah. both were kind of feeling the pang of regular episodes. Literally. And I came across this episode and I was like, We have to talk it talk we have to talk about it because it's really important that we include that we include really inspiring and just like impactful religious leaders and i think kai opaka really demonstrates like what a good kai does for her people and she's just so again we have all these women who are determined to do whatever they can to help others or with people who are really like so driven about their passions and about what they do and that's something i've noticed is a common thread throughout all of deep space nine but with the men as well and the other people she's really cool and i think it's important to talk about religious leaders who are really making a change for the better and how much better she is than spoiler alert 
Kai win. <laughs> that was a long pause. <laughs> Most of us know the spoiler. <laughs> the show's like 30 years old. <laughs> I know, but you, we had to say Vedic earlier. I know, it's true. It's true. And again, we're so sorry for spoiling. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. I I loved Kaiopaka from the very beginning. I believe she appears in the pilot. Yeah. Um, the first time we meet her, it is kind of a spiritual experience. And I mean, Cisco's having visions of the wormhole prophets, and she's there because she knows that he is the Cisco. Yeah. And I just always thought she was really mysterious yeah honestly a kind of Guinan vibes like someone who's very wise not as funny as Guinan like I think she's very serious and very spiritual but very open-minded and yeah yeah, just a solid character just someone you don't want to leave Bajor (laughs) someone you don't want to crash land on a planet where if you die you get regenerated, but if you leave the planet, you die again. And that's exactly what happens. And that's what happens. <laughs> no one wants that. Except the prophets want this, apparently. Yeah, what? So the Kai has never left Bajor in her life, but she has a sense. She's like, I have to go to DS9. And then when she's there, she's like, I have to go in the wormhole. And she's been having dreams or like some kind of sense visions, that the visions, yeah, yeah, they want her to go into the wormhole, into the Gamma Quadrant, and basically guide these warring uh, people that are trapped on this moon in kind of a penal colony, prison camp type of situation. Terrible. Um, and also, uh, Mike from Breaking Bad is on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Uh, a delight should be it, his name. A delight, I agree. <laughs> Oh, I'm right. His name is Jonathan Delightful Banks. <laughs> That's one. what it says on Wikipedia. Yeah, go look it up. <laughs> Always trust it. Um, yeah, he, he was a delight um, in this episode. And yeah, basically, they like Rihanna said, they crash land on the planet. And <laughs> it's just, well, it's just not good. Because like, <laughs> they literally give Cisco knows this someone's coming to the rescue he knows that he can help these people off the planet but he says you have to like negotiate for long enough and have peace for long enough that we can get you on different moons and you far away from each other but they're so hell-bent on this bat on this war that's been raging for decades and they don't really remember what they're fighting for at this point and so opaka notice knows right right away that this is her calling that this is why the prophets told her to leave Bajor and I don't know I just think that amount of devotion to people you've never met and to people that are going through so much tragedy and have like really twisted ways thinking about war you know it's just that would be so difficult to manage and I think that like with her empathy it's probably she feels it really deeply, but I think that's why she feels like she needs to stay. And turns out she can't leave anyway, which is like crazy that this, she's going to spend the rest of her life. But I, I like to think that she like created, you know, some gave them some sense of peace. Maybe didn't stop the fighting, but maybe, you know, at least gave the people who were struggling some relief. Absolutely. Well, 
And she's just an example of someone who's far too precious for this world. Yes, because so I I think that typically the people who care the most and give up the most are rarely recognized by history, mm. because they're doing something extremely selfless. And Kai Opaka should go down in Bajoran history as one of the greatest Kais because of this extremely noble sacrifice. But she's never mentioned again, and she's yeah. written off the show. And really? I mean, except, you know, the weird prophet ghosts, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, she's dead. She's choosing eternal life. She's basically mm-hmm. doing the equivalent of becoming the knight in the third Indiana Jones movie where she yeah. drinks from the Christ cup and she has eternal life unless she leaves You're the right. compound and then she'll die. Yeah. She's choosing this, which seems kind of hellish and with people who hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it's rough, buddy. Incredible. That strength that is within her and, yeah, it's just really beautiful to see, and I really like that she, as a religious leader, too, like, seeks out causes that they, that she believes in, and people who need guidance, or people who didn't maybe have that sort of guidance before. It's just really cool to see her do this, and um, I feel like, too, this, she's really, she, I think also it's her calling because she, they just lived through the occupation, you know, and they're coming off of the tail end. There's only a provisional government. And so Opaka has been a leader during times of war and turmoil. And so she has a certain, like, she didn't say quo. <laughs> she has, <laughs> she has like, how you say it. Yeah. She, she has an understanding of what these people are going through and she helps Kira with a lot of her inner turmoil. It's just beautiful, like, to see how devoted everyone is to her. And you know that you know that she was just a beloved Kai. Like, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I, and this is not really about feminism, but I do just wonder in the scope of the timeline, like, if I was the prophets, it, was it destiny to have her kind of move out of the way for Kai Wen to come into power? Mm. Was that the Pa Wraiths guiding mm. um, Kai Opaka, or was it the Prophets because of everything that happens with the war and the Federation yeah. and Cisco being the Cisco? <gasps> it's just like, so it's, true. you know, like, yes, it's an extremely noble cause, but were the Prophets just moving her out of the way? I don't know. It, it very well could have been. It's kind of like the Doctor Strange scenario, you know, where there's only one way where this is going to work in Endgame, where he turns to Iron Man and says, you know, I've calculated hundreds of thousands of possibilities and ways that this could go, but there's only one way that's going to work. And I feel like maybe that's what the prophets were saying. Like, we have to get someone out of the way who's really good. I think um, you're so right. In order for this plan to happen. Like, she was too good for the war arc. (laughs) yeah yeah it would have made it too easy you know yeah that's so true there would have been no gold cut and kyle paka scenes at the end of the show (laughs) now why would you bring that up empowering podcast (laughs) i thought we do need to to bring it down (laughs) really i dare you dare speak his name yes Yes, i I dare (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway harry potter tangent as usual i whenever i hear that on audio i have to yell that part no matter where i am like i'm on the bus and i'm like yes i dare yeah anyway okay so speaking of cardassians (laughs) that that was vague but i liked it (laughs) not vague sorry sorry Speaking of Gul Dukat, his daughter is our next guest. 
Oh, I wish she was. Trek Untold Matthew literally had uh, the third ZL on. It was oh. a really good podcast episode. You all should go listen. Oh, I loved man. it. it was man, I'm, okay, I'm taking notes from yeah. Trek Untold here. Right? Next week, we'll have ZL talking with us <laughs> about the feminism in Voyager. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a twist. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay, so I'm sorry that I chose the saddest episode. To yeah, I was about. like, what the hell, Rihanna? I was looking at this list. I was like, why are we watching the one where she dies? I know, but the thing is, is like, we did talk about Zial in a few of our family series episodes. And I think, like, I, I do want to briefly mention the stuff, of course, before all of this horrible stuff happens and Sacrifice of Angels. But she essentially is found on this planet in a green prison camp, essentially. And it really is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. (laughs) She's half Bajoran, half Cardassian. um, And Golducott finds her. Her and Kira bring her back. Him and Kira bring her back. And she starts to adjust to life on the station. She decides to stay on Deep Space Nine for a while. She goes to. She's thinking about going to Bajor to do her art. She's like this beautiful artist, and she is also trying to keep Goldicott and Kira like afloat and just like trying to make them be okay being in the same room together because she loves them both. And I don't know. I just like want to shout out that specifically because sometimes it's hard to juggle. Like, you know, if you're the kind of person who like juggles people's emotions or like tries to keep the peace it's hard it's hard work and so i just really respect her for this i also think she kind of regards kira as a mother sister figure yeah and so it's got to feel like a child is trying to hold a divorced parents together or you know like parents who don't get along or whose marriage is failing and that can't be easy for her because she loves them both so much and she doesn't understand why Kira hates Dukat so much. Yeah, literally. Yeah, and so I really like that we get these snippets of her, but again, I just feel like there could have been so much more of her character that wasn't attached to Garrick, you know, like that whole oh, I barely you want to bring dare it up, speak but... his name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just yeah, I don't like that and I just I don't appreciate it. So I just wish we had more of like her outside of that sort of weird romantic interest thing and instead got more of her being a badass like she is in Sacrifice of Angels. Yeah, she... So at this point, this is right before DS9 is retaken by the Federation and the Cardassians are sent on the run because we have Kira... I feel like this is Jeopardy where they always ask like which characters stayed on board DS9 during the Cardassian occupation and it's like boop 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 because yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm always trying to like I feel like every podcast that we do DS9 I'm naming the people who stayed behind Literally. but it's Jake, Kira, Quark, Rom, Lita, uh, no. Yeah. Zial and Garrick. Zial and Garrick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah ragtag bunch but so they're all in prison together vibing and oh of course odo how could we forget yeah but he's having some weird 
weird sexy times with the uh, female changeling. So. Rihanna, can we just... I'm sorry, I, I keep bringing up the cursed images. I skipped through the part of the episode because I couldn't stand yeah, to look at it. I, I can barely even stand and talk about it anyway. Let's yeah. <laughs> but so Xiao risks her life to get them out of prison and to help sabotage the station to allow uh, Starfleet and the Defiant and everybody to come home and retake it. Yeah. So unfortunately, Gold Ducat finds out about this and he's like, oh my God, okay, we have to go right now. Yeah. Like, this is not okay. We have to go. Damar heard all of this and he kills Yal and he says, you heard her. She's a traitor. And Gold Ducat, like, this is really when he loses it. Like, yeah. this is the point of him. no return. Yeah. He, like, I don't know if is this when he starts a cult after this or does he after no, this, no, no, he no. this turns he Bajoran? With Cis- no, 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 no. First he goes on his adventure with Cisco and he like sees hallucinations everywhere. Oh, and in the then cave. he joins the cult and then he becomes Oh my Bajoran. god, he has so much crazy to go. And this is yes. like late in the in the show. Correct. Oh Jesus. <laughs> well once again was, aka Goldicott Wilden. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, once again, and I'm sorry we keep plugging our old podcast, but, like, yeah. seriously, our DS9 villain episode it's is... very excellent. ...is packed full of hot villain info, so... Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Pipe it hot. Yeah, so... It's awful. Yeah. I I remember watching this the first time and, like, sobbing my oh, eyes yeah, out. Weeping. Yeah, because Yael is a precious flower. I feel like she's kind of, like, lol, like, Data's daughter. Yeah precious like if she had been allowed to or if she had survived and this is just break break our (laughs) podcast i'm so sorry i (laughs) yeah i just i feel like she's something that's so sweet and how could something so how could someone so perfect be born of such a demon yeah it's just it boggles the mind well and i think that it really is similar to what we were saying with opaka is that like she was this sort of wholesome soul who got and but in this circumstance Zial you know was tainted by the war not tainted that's a bad word Zial was affected by the war but she still remains so sweet and kind and caring and that's that takes a lot of strength and power and I just really appreciate that about her and she chooses her side. This is the thing. Is like this is the episode when she finally chooses to move against Golducott, and because Rom is going to be executed, and they literally would not have been able to retake the station had it not been for mm-hmm. Zial and Quark, <laughs> which is like a crazy thing to say, but here we are. Yeah, they broke them out of prison. Amazing. She dies for it. Yeah, but it's just so heroic, and that's why it's the sacrifice of angels. You know. Oh. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> oh god it's just so sad this is awful. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful but um okay well here's the worst transition ever um re- remember garrick no um, <laughs> in this next discussion we will talk about how he desperately needs therapy yes. and the only one who can really break through to him is Ezri Dax. Ezri Dax. Okay, so um I'm we, sorry, just real quick. I really turn I really turned that transition into a, a like a golden nugget, didn't you know, that I? It was pretty good actually. Cuz it started it. off looking like coal, but you kept, you know, rubbing the dirt off and, <laughs> and then it was gold. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I go silver maybe, but <laughs> Oh. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, cold to silver is still a good, yeah, it's a good leap. So pretty, anyway. Pretty <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, I think we have to address the elephant in the room. Yes. Which is Jadzia's death and subsequent addition of Ezri. Um, because I just have to talk about my sort of, like, past with Ezri. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did not like her the first go-around. I was so devastated about Judzia that, like, no one could replace her in my heart. And seeing Ezri there all the time, I really felt a lot like Worf. You know, I wasn't, like, gonna yell at her, but I was still like, ugh, like, I don't know why you're here. And I was, like, really didn't give her a chance because... I was so heartbroken about that, about Judzia that I was clouded to like really see that now these watch throughs give me a chance to see her in a different light, particularly because I'm not watching Tears of the Prophets, you know, and then jumping into season seven. <laughs> yeah, instead you're watching freaking Sacrifice of Angels and Jeez. then jumping into season seven. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> My God. Um, I was the exact same way, Rihanna. I think you and I watching season seven together were actively like speaking about how much we hated Ezri yes. and making fun of her mm-hmm. and being extremely rude yeah. um, to this character because she didn't ask to be, no, you know, asked to be Dax. Exactly. Um, I I also know, I mean, it, it frustrates me even more knowing that it was Dax died because of a contract dispute with Terry yeah. Farrell and Rick Berman. And so mad. Yeah, like, Dax is one of the best characters. And mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll, we gotta save it for the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, too, had a really hard time swallowing Esri. And especially because, and I we've talked about this with... I'm not gonna say swallowing Esri. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going back it up. <laughs> I, I, I said I was gonna say I had a hard time digesting her. <laughs> Titan style. Um, I had a hard, I, I also just had a hard time, uh, watching her, um, and learning to love her. (laughs) (laughs) I have face blindness, so whenever she came on screen, I couldn't (laughs) tell who it was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. No, I, um, I, I just had a hard time getting to love or really getting to love her as a character. Yeah. I had a hard time loving her as a character until really now that we're doing the podcast. And I think a lot of that is because it's similar to what we talked about with Troy in Next Generation. She is someone, Ezri is, who really wears her emotions on her sleeve. Mm -hmm. And I really saw that as a sign of weakness growing up. And I don't like the scene like where Garrick, I mean, no one likes the scene where Garrick is yelling at her in this episode uh, basically saying she's not good enough, she can't take it, like, mm-hmm. she should just go, and she's the worst, why are you here? Like, really, mm-hmm. he's terrible to her. And she goes and cries and, like, sobs in the corner. And I hated seeing that because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my gosh, like, she can't handle this thing that, like, she can't handle someone being mean to her, you know? But, <laughs> you know, watch, as a kid, this is what I'm yeah. thinking. And then now I'm like, oh, my God, like... <laughs> That that's being so harsh and it like it creates this expectation that women are supposed to take it mm-hmm. and if they can't then they're weak. Um exactly, when yeah. really she is having a very healthy release of emotions. And honestly, I would do the exact same thing, For but sure. no one would see me do it is the only difference. And I yeah. you know, and I'd pretend, oh I I'm I'm strong. I didn't cry. 
yeah, yeah. like anyway yeah exactly. so I think that's a huge reason why I really didn't like Esri before but now I really just I have a lot of empathy for her mm -hmm. I think I really relate with her too she's someone who's really dealing with a lot in this episode she yeah. has a bunch of hosts memories that she's trying to sort out uh this also reminds me of Adira and it just makes yeah. me excited to talk about Discovery Same. but um she's just having you know a hard time she's first time trail host yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot and uh also dealing with all the emotions of everyone on the station having yeah. known Jedzia before mourning her and trying to get to know Esri is extremely exhausting very stressful for everyone yeah and I think too like she said that she of course this was a like emergency trail transference and so she wasn't prepared. She didn't do the two years on trail and all of this stuff. So it really is so overwhelming. And like, I really understand why she was like, no, I want to leave and go back to the destiny and just like get out of here, you know, because like most people are encouraging her to stay and being really thoughtful. But I think how like hateful Worf is being and Garrick in this episode particularly is just really difficult for me to see because like, I'm just like, I want to cry, and I'm just not even happening to me. <laughs> yeah, it's really unfair the way that they're treating her, and they're in their grief, they can't take a minute to stop and think about how it must feel to be her. Yeah, that's what um, I did as a kid. In yeah, my grief, Jensia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Literally, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, I also, I hate to stereotype, but I think if I was getting onto any shuttle with any trill, mm -hmm. I would expect to become a host because if that <laughs> shuttle goes down, right, it's coming in. Too often. Yeah. It, I feel like anytime there's a shuttle accident and a trill is on board, whoever's next door gets the symbiont. Like you gotta be really careful. Yeah. So I'm just saying like to everyone, I just warn you, like make sure you read all the documents when you get on board because they're going to ask you to sign a waiver saying will you if take the symbiote yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's hilarious you know something i really appreciate about esri too is that she's very candid and this does remind me of judzia's qualities as well but it's also just how esri is is she's very open about her emotions and though she's struggling with them she is still working her way through them and like it's cool that she's a counselor because I think then she realizes in her own way she needs to emote and needs to feel the struggle of this change, you know? And so, I don't know, I was just, I'm just really proud of her because I know this is a, a time of questioning for her. And I don't know, I also just want to acknowledge that, like, she, I think, was really, like, transgender coded. And I think, like, Trill in general is very, like, trans coded. And so it's just really cool to see that represented even if it's not said like trill is very much like your gender is changing a lot or there's a lot of you know like gender queer and gender fluidity and all of this stuff so it's just cool because i feel like esri you know as she's struggling with her pronouns and like all of this stuff it's it's cool to see her growth and also just important to understand her struggle absolutely i totally agree you you said everything i was about to say <laughs> Thank you. As usual. Oh, thank you. And, like, I say this from the lens of being a cis woman, just so you all know. I'm not, like, as informed on the subject, but just my two cents. Yeah, I thought the line about her saying that she she was just frustrated. She's like, oh, all these pronouns, I'm going crazy. And yeah. I thought that's a pretty progressive line for this thing coming out, like, late 90s, you know? Yeah, I do I thought, it was, I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, she's cool. And I think that she's re really a great psychologist too. She's open about her struggles, which is what helps Garrick in this, in his moments of claustrophobia. She doesn't baby him. And she also, yeah, I don't know. I think she's just so great at understanding what Garrick needs. Yep, absolutely. And I also like to see her journey of self-discovery that Cisco kind of helps to push her along with because she goes from thinking, I can't do this, I'm leaving, to gaining some confidence in herself and particularly in her job. And I feel like this is something that happens a lot to me and a lot to women in general that maybe they don't feel like, um, what's the, what's the word? Imposter um, syndrome. Yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome. And I know that strikes a lot of millennials too. And Gen Z, I'm sorry, guys, we all have imposter syndrome. But yeah. um, I think often we don't feel like we are good enough for the positions that we're in or feels like they can't allow themselves to shoot for jobs that are higher than their worth because they don't feel like they deserve it or don't feel like they have the capacity to do it. Yeah. But that's wrong, guys. It's wrong. If you want to do something, you can work hard for it and you can get whatever job you want as long as you have enough drive and power and you're hungry Hunger. and you devour. <laughs> um, <laughs> you put in the work, put in the hours, then you can take what's yours. Yes, literally, The Rock taught us this, guys. <laughs> this is this is what we say every Sunday at church. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just want to shout out to Esri because I feel like the job struggle is really real, especially in this climate. Um, <laughs> I, I want precedent times. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway. I saw Hank. Hank just. Uh, tweeted that i think today where oh, he was saying my great grandkids are going to be asking me grandpa tell me again about the precedented times it's <laughs> <laughs> like oh i'm laughing because it's because it's painful <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so i just again to close up this this, pain. <laughs> this topic I, i'm just Kira. i'm just proud of esri for pushing through her imposter syndrome and just coming out on top and she ends up being an extremely valuable part of the station yeah and she works through it with Worf. she has an unfortunate love fling hopefully a fling with, hopefully a fling <laughs> with Bashir. it's fine if you ship it i'm sorry i it's not my favorite ship i just don't like it I don't like that she's reduced to a love interest, but yep. here we are. Yeah. Rihanna, I think we had a conversation once where we said we just hope after DS9, Bashir breaks up with uh, Esri and gets with O'Brien. And then... O'Brien? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I think they could be Polly, yeah, though, honestly. Yeah, I definitely. think they could they could be I mean, swingers. With the Kira situation. But yeah, no, Bashir gets with um I almost said Quark. Oh my god. Um Bashir, Bashir gets with Garrick and then Esri gets with Kira because Odo went to join the Great Link. Yeah. So literally this is my headcanon and I will I that's just what I want to believe. So it's like where's your boyfriend? He's in a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you Data solid for a while. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of puddles and Kira. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that one was weird, Ashlyn. I also want to say Oda was a bag this episode. We oh. didn't talk about it yet, but or, or Kira, or I'm sorry, Kira. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring it up later. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? 
Odo Do you remember when Cisco throws the bag and then it's Odo? It's <laughs> a stylish bag. Really it's like a purse. <laughs> so yeah, poor, poor Kieran Reese. Guys, this might get dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. But also, I can't wait to talk about her because she's just amazing. Wow. So let's start with Duet. This We're going right into our the usual Kieran Reese show, which is meeting people from her past and coming to terms with the new present (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's my summary for these episodes yeah and dealing with the repercussions of the war her entire life no matter how far removed she is i actually really was thinking a lot about colin kozaki when i was watching these uh these space nine episodes uh colin of course is from the fantastic anime code geass um and she definitely is uh, resistance vibes. Yes, you're so yeah. right. Especially like joined at a young age. She Kira joined the resistance at 13. Mm-hmm. Literally, she was just old enough to carry a phaser rifle, and they were down a person and needed Kira. And she literally said, "Anyway, I started blasting and like came in guns a blazing, killed a bunch of Cardassians, and retook the." Whatever they were retaking. Yeah, a lot of stuff they retook. Good yeah. for them. Yeah. Amazing. Sort of a, it reminded me of River Tam from Serenity vibes. I was just going to say Firefly, even. Yeah. Uh, I think sci-fi has a lot of kind of dystopian universes. And I really think that Joss Whedon was pulling from the cardassian Bajoran yeah, uh, dispute when he wrote Firefly. Definitely. Well, and I do want to mention, too, that, like, this is definitely a sci-fi trope, but I think it's also very real to people who are in, like, war-torn nations who are struggling to, you know, fight for their country and fight for their land. And so this is, like, a tale as old as time. Mm. And I think that... (laughs) Yeah, this is painful, but I just think it's kind of important. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's really important that we're watching these episodes again and that we get to see Kira continue to stay steadfast in her belief system, in her confidence, like in herself, you know? Like she really trusts herself. And that is a quality that I admire so much. I wish I trust myself more. I wish I trust myself like Kira does, you know, and I admire her so much. Like, I think she was such an inspiration for me when I was in middle school watching this. Yeah, absolutely. Kira is amazing, and she goes through a lot of gaslighting (laughs) in her life. Cardassian method of torture low-key mm-hmm. is definitely gaslighting and in i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but the episode second skin really reminded me of the two-parter from next generation um the chain of command because they have picard captured and the entire time the cardassian is gaslighting him like essentially lying to him mm-hmm. to change his reality and forcing him to change his mind like getting him to doubt everything that he knows in order to tell these secrets of the federation like he literally i mean the famous part of the episode is there are four lights when he's saying no there are five and picard's like there are four Four lights lights. (laughs) yeah Yeah. and this is basically like a much 
more difficult in some ways version that they're doing to Kira mm-hmm. is they've turned her into a Cardassian. Yeah. Uh, like they kidnapped her from Deep Space Nine. They've said that she's a deep spy. They've altered her memory. And now she's being brought home and she's being pulled out of the field because she has to answer these questions that they sent her out for. Her dad, her Cardassian dad is there. And I honestly, I might be convinced mm. that this was my reality you know like i absolutely uh, would yeah especially because kira like supposedly kardashian kira made a message for herself that said this is real this is why i'm joining the deep spy mission like it's masterful the many layers of manipulation they are doing to kira and the fact that she is not even phased and even more so she realized that she wasn't even the target. The target yeah. is her Cardassian dad, who's mm-hmm. in the Central Command. I think she's grown up with and amongst Cardassians her whole life, and so she knows their tactics. She knows she knows ploys that certain Cardassians will make in order to manipulate and all the lies and subterfuge and stuff, you know? It's kind of like working with a Romulan a lot of the times, at least back in the past. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just... it's it's really tricky this episode i it's so funny you were thinking chain of command i was thinking face of the enemy that we just watched for troy oh yeah turning into a romulan and (laughs) all these women gotta turn into different species everybody's favorite trend yeah literally so yeah i just feel like the more they try to manipulate her the stronger her will gets you know and i think this is something so uniquely beautiful about kira is that like the, when she faces the most opposition is when she's at her best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like this is really to her aid in this mm-hmm. episode, obviously. But I think we see in the episode duet that her desire to believe that she's right is not necessarily overpowering her. Yeah. And because in duet, it's a really complicated kind of lie that's being weaved throughout this episode by this Cardassian. So there's a, a, a shuttle that comes to DS9 with a sick person and they have uh, yeah. this, he has, um, well, he has a disease that only might only people who are working at the Galatep uh, prison or Galatep labor camp. Yeah. I, do you remember? It's like cholera, but it's not. It's no. like Clamar. Yeah. Something I'm too just, worded. I'm thinking Damar. <laughs> the Damar disease. I don't know, but yeah, he's he's sick with something that he could only have if he was at that camp. And I initially, Kira is extremely presumptuous and says, put him in prison. He's a yeah, war criminal. Cause. Yeah, totally without cause. And Bajor, like the high officials, jump on this too. And they agree, capture him, even though there's no evidence to prove that he was at Galatep or that he's even guilty at all there's this office quote where it goes can we arrest him not without cause michael it's because i hate him (laughs) (laughs) so that's definitely kira (laughs) oh my god it totally is yeah um but so this his story changes at first they say that he's a filing clerk and he was on galatep because that was his job and he didn't notice any occupation going on he was just doing his job um and he's a professor on this planet 
um, who taught filing, LOL. Like, what a passion you have, sir. Yeah. Um, and then he says that, because Akira, her brain starts going because she figures, like, something is wrong. Yeah. And I believe so much that this guy's a war criminal. Yeah. Cisco is pushing her kind of the other direction and saying, let's get evidence. So then they come to the conclusion because his face has been surgically altered to resemble. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the surgery. Once again, yeah to resemble the actual goal of the camp mm-hmm. who it was like goldar heel i think yeah, is his Dark name Hill. like what a great villain name fantastic yeah, name really i like yeah. hate that name without even having context <laughs> um but so Gar- goldar heel so that's who he says he is because they find this like ancient picture in the records Crazy. of goldar heel and it looks exactly like him and so he's like admitting it. He's saying, yes, I'm him. I'm, I want to kill everyone. He's being like really evil. Horrible, uh, horrible, yeah. yeah. And then they do further digging because Cisco says, okay, now I want proof that you're Goldar heel because we still don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I think Kira is struggling this entire episode with racism, you know, yeah. kind of thinking that all Cardassians are criminals and mm-hmm. especially this one's a war criminal for sure. And this Cardassian is really being harassed by everyone at the station like Bajorans there's this like drunk Bajoran who is in prison but so anyway um I I have an extremely long point and I'm getting to it yeah but like including just like talking about the plot um but so finally they think he can't be Goldar heel and they even bring in Gold Dukat curse his name um and he's like bro I was at his funeral I can't be Goldar heel like I know it's not and so then you start thinking is this a Cardassian like plot did they plan all of this because it's not beneath them you know to do something crazy like this to Mm -hmm. smuggle Goldar heel out of the system or something or smuggle Mm -hmm. him back to Cardassia um and so then they just keep digging keep digging and this is where Bashir finds out that he's been taking some kind of ointment or something for his skin because he had a skin trans or he had a face transplant yeah yeah Yeah, really like seriously insane um and so kira this entire episode has been convinced that she is right but in the end she is able to have an open mind enough to listen to it and to understand the facts she knows i made a mistake this guy he feels like he should be punished because he is indeed the filing clerk Mm -hmm. from the Galatet Galatep prison camp and he feels like everyone should be punished and if he was Goldar Heel he would be a symbol and he could die for that and hopefully make the Cardassians see that they need to be punished for their crimes so I thought this was like a terrific 180 for Kira Mm -hmm. and you get to see from every angle how she fiercely wants him to be guilty but she like is willing to listen because she is smart and has a lot of really good logic skills too even though she's also balancing it with these really powerful emotions so oh i just love her i love that so much ashlyn thank you for saying this and i think that it makes her rethink her stance on cardassians in general and on like just how difficult it is to be a cardassian in a in a post-war state yeah which they were the post-civil war (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so and just entering this new war like even the pseudo father in second skin says that cardassia should have more artists you know and like i really like that there are these sort of progressive cardassians in the mix that appear and challenge kira's beliefs I just really, I, I love the Deep Space Nine writers for doing this, but I don't love them for killing him at the end. No. 
That was awful. I gasped because I forgot yeah. about how that episode ended. And it was the drunk Bajoran who, mm-hmm. like, didn't care that he wasn't Goldar Hero. He just yeah. said, who cares? He's Cardassian scum. He deserves to die. Yeah. And this guy was on his way back to, like, maybe get his teaching job back or, like, yeah. claim asylum or mm-hmm. was something. Uh, I also just want to quickly <laughs> say that when I took notes for this episode, I sometimes take a lot of notes, sometimes don't. Mm-hmm. And for this one... This is all that I have. I'm going to read all my notes for this episode. Yeah. Is that Cardassian lying? Lying! Exclamation point. Lying? Lying! Lying? Lying! <laughs> so, <laughs> because that's that's exactly how many twists there are. Yes. Where you're like sus, and then you're like, okay, I got it. And then you're like, I'm sus again! <laughs> yeah, these Cardassians just sit up at night devising these plots they're like we're just gonna be as dramatic as possible about this the obsidian order goes next level Mm -hmm. and kira is not phased by any of this like she like we said we she knows them so well (laughs) not a thing (laughs) so we're gonna talk now about the darkness and the light (laughs) i'm feeling the darkness rihanna (laughs) okay but first let's talk about something amazing which is the fact that kira is pregnant during this episode yes this is something we have to deeply remember because (laughs) deeply deeply remember it everyone (laughs) put it in deep simba deeply remember (laughs) (laughs) kira's pregnant (laughs) (sighs) so i think this is something that like not that i forget but just it's not really in my scope but like when you're pregnant your life doesn't just stop you know like she's you have to still do stuff go to work sometimes do strenuous activity sometimes knock out some security officers so you know like Kira (laughs) literally is like she's the first officer and she's like I'm not gonna sit around and wait for other people to investigate this so essentially what's going on in this episode is that the members of her old resistance cell the Shakar are getting murdered and they're investigating why and who's doing it and it keeps sending these threatening messages and it's just like really horrible essentially luring kira in while like killing a lot of her friends in front of her and like drawing her nearer essentially and i think that like the fact that she is pregnant through all of this is just like a reminder that i just think it's really yeah you can yeah you can do both you can have a a life and be pregnant and And, i mean she takes reasonable risks uh especially because she's carrying a human it's like a little more complicated but she's you know she's living her fullest life still (laughs) yeah I uh, also just want to say the villain in this episode, we did not cover in our villain series, but we should have, honestly, because hot take, this villain is better than all of the Marvel villains. Yes. I said it. This villain is creepy, Mm -hmm. like really creepy. And once Kira meets him at the end, he's kind of talking in third. It's not even third person. It's like like third animal. Yeah. Like creature, which is also just. It's so sketch. Yeah. Um, and well said, Ashlyn. It is very sketch. I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I don't like this villain. Mm-mm. Yeah, he's scary, and like, I think that he raises a question for Kira, because he was a servant actually at a place that Kira and the Shakar bombed, and so he got his like half of his face burned, and he is saying that like fifteen people 
died in that explosion and he is really trying to make Kira guilty feel guilty for what she did and she's really not I don't know I mean obviously there is sort of this like moral question that she's facing here and some people are very strong on the idea that Kira is like definitely a war criminal you know and that is like addressed in some of these episodes in Deep Space Nine but I don't know I see it more as like like she was saying she's fighting for her planet and for her people who are being oppressed and who have been for 50 years of an occupation you know so it's all about perspective and I think that's what so important about this episode is it brings to light like I hate the saying two sides to every coin because it's often used as an excuse um but anyway I still think it's important to understand what's going on in another person's head but also he like killed five people and he's about to cut out her baby and it's really scary and she's going through this really scary moment and also dealing with this moral quandary yeah I felt really conflicted because he I thought he brought up some good points that Kira and the resistance were killing indiscriminately Mm -hmm. and they didn't try to bomb areas that was only military personnel. They just bombed like entire areas. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, I feel like he kind of has the upper hand as being a killer, not during a war because Mm -hmm he has the ability to be patient and to wait and to strike when things are ready and, you know, be really specific about who he's killing. But when you're in something like the resistance, you can't really, you don't have time for that um, because you're going to be killed if you don't do something. But he was also a servant, so he was not killing anyone. uh, But I mean, at the end of the, I mean, during this episode when he is killing, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, he's taking time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's not really fair for him to compare them in that way. But also, I mean, war is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a side effect of the war is unfortunately civilians will get involved whether you want to or not. Even if you're only striking military bases, there are still a lot of employees that are civilians working on those military bases. Definitely. And that's the risk that you take. Um, and that's the choice that Cardassians made when... Um, they decided to occupy Bajor. So Definitely. I, I do feel still weird about, you know, about about Kira, but she was doing the best she could in a really awful situation. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. And she says at the end of the episode, quote, sometimes innocence is just an excuse for the guilty. Mm. So, like, it's really hard that she's learning these lessons and she grows from it and learns a different perspective and it's really important but i just wish she hadn't had to go through that and all those people didn't have to die for it all right shall we talk about this last episode shadows and symbols yeah so the the a plot we actually talked about uh in our family series because cisco sees his mom in a vision in the sand and yeah and his dad's oh, man. In the <laughs> sand with him. there's a lot happening with yeah the cisco part but we watched the kira part for this and essentially Kira is bringing how many ships, Rihanna? <laughs> twelve impulse ships. Yes, there you go. Um, twelve. That's all impulse. I wrote in my notes. <laughs> um, she's yeah, she's uh, trying to get twelve impulse ships to form this blockade to stop the Dominion from getting well, into their part no, of space. No, no. no. <laughs> what's, ha- what's happening? She's stopping the Romulans from bringing weapons onto a planet that will supply the Dominion. <laughs> Oh, so do you mean that episode that we just watched in TNG? (laughs) 
it's literally redemption part two. Oh my god. <laughs> Where Picard's like, we need a blockade to stop the Romulans from aiding the Dura sisters yes. into You're so controlling right. the Klingon government anyway. We just watched that for our Picard. Different show, same plot, don't worry yeah. about it. Um yeah, I think the these interactions that Kira has with this Romulan woman and this terrible admiral are really interesting and I don't like the admiral at all yeah, and i'm like classic. just annoyed by him yeah he's very annoying but i thought kira like she's i think she's kind of an underrated uh negotiator because she yeah. can, you know can get really angry but i mean like we what we've been talking about um i i just i think like sometimes her anger puts people off it's fine mm-hmm. that she's angry but yeah. it like alienates people mm-hmm. um and so sometimes though she can be really calm and really like extremely level-headed in times of crisis and so there's never a time when she's acting captain that i feel worried about the defiant or the blockade or anything because no. she's just in command completely of the situation yeah not even with 12 impulse ships i don't feel worried <laughs> like she's facing romulan warbirds out the wazoo and she does not back down this is the thing i'm saying is like her back against the wall is when she does her best work and i love that odo is just sort of here along for the ride he's like well if we're gonna Mm -hmm. die we'll die together but if not i'll get a show (laughs) either way it's a win for me he's really funny i like this he's just like support animal in this episode yeah and the only other note i i just saw I put is Odo gives her the book (laughs) so he gives her a book to read while they're waiting for the Romulans to arrive so it is time for the one the only Jadzia Dax and if you do not follow us on social media you should because you would have already known that I just got new license plates because I had to get Virginia plates and it says Jadzia (laughs) so if I break the law you all know what my license plates are (laughs) But, I mean, isn't it worth it? I've already had many people come up to me, and none of them know what the reference is. Even though That's I got the, the NASA yeah. um, license plate, I thought it would, like, help people connect it, that it's, like, space-related. I think related. Deep Space Nine is more of a niche or trick, weirdly. Ugh. Yeah, well, I had a, a guy at church, he came up to me, he was like, I was racking my brains what that could mean. And I told him it's Jadzia Dax from DS9, and he said, oh... You know, I never think of that one somehow. Yeah, like that's the thing I was I'm like, saying. It's oh, weird. man. Like everyone, it's like every Trek fan's favorite, but like no one talks about it. I don't know. It's a weird. It's like yeah. GS9 isn't mainstream, yeah, which is weird. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's yeah. minor stream. Minor stream. <laughs> anyway um well dax is not minor stream she's made stream amazing yeah well and i we have so much dax content on our uh social media lately we love dax yeah Yeah. i just made a bunch of tiktoks dressed up as dax from trials and tribulations and i drew her for our recent feminist post i don't know i just love her a lot (laughs) if you can't tell we love if i go to a con i am Dax. Yeah. I have a picture of me and Nichelle Nichols and I'm Dax and Nichelle Nichols said that I was beautiful so yeah. I will cherish that memory forever. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah I dressed up as Dax when I met Terry Farrell and like died a little inside. Oh see that's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Here we are. Um, anyway so, well let's get into it. Yeah let's get into it. And You sound like <laughs> Alex Trudeau. these are the categories (laughs) Jadzia Dax equilibrium for 100 is what I'm taking first okay thank Um, you and this is 
kind of the first glimpse we get into Dax's true, like, into the Trill homeworld, into more of Judzia's past, and not just the Dax symbiont's past, because she tells so many stories about Curzon, and so many, she reminisces a lot, and so I think that it's really cool to hear more about, like, what Judzia did to become an initiate, and she is actually the first initiate to be rejected from the program and then re-admitted. So Whoa! that's epic. I just love that too because it's like, yeah, do it again. Try again. If they don't believe in you, try it again. You know, like sometimes it just needs that second shot. And unfortunately, we find out that this is because Corazon had a attraction to Jadzia, but I try to block that out because... Brianna, I was... I forgot it. I did... I successfully <laughs> blocked it out. Yeah. Ugh. So, um, anyway, we yeah. didn't cover that episode because it's not good. Yeah, I thought we were going to ignore it, Rihanna. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have, to, we have to have the whole truth here. Yeah. But I, yeah, I thought this was interesting because we don't get, how many times have I said that? I think that everything is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, in, I just think Star Trek is very interesting. Um, I agree. Just how many times do we get a any background on who Jedzia was pre-Trill, you know, like pre-joining. And so I think it's cool that we get to see some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to see the really annoying lady who's on Trill. Um, and mm-hmm. she is like treating Dax so disrespectfully, mm-hmm. um, treating like her. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um, Barty Crouch Jr. would be proud. <laughs> um, That's very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter reference again. <laughs> Ten galleons if you get it right. <laughs> if you know what we're talking about. Extreme niche here. Um Yeah, she's just treating her terribly and as like she's less than and I I think really is similar to what Esri was going through. I know Esri didn't go through those two years of training, but I feel like if she did, she'd be dealing with a lot of this too about yeah. um the trail doctors like coddling her and just ugh terrible like blaming her for everything that's going wrong with the host which is not her fault with the symbiont yeah yeah with the symbiont no it's with the host is what's wrong oh yeah as the caretaker says but not jedzia necessarily (laughs) yeah it's like wow wow great thanks (laughs) um yeah she faces so much ridicule and i feel like the trill initiate process is so grueling and it's so like devastating to a lot of people you know not many people pass it's very challenging there's so many aptitude and physical and emotional psychological tests that you have to go through because the symbionts are very special and like it has to be past the right person as we learn that Tarius was pretty much rejected from the program and he killed his initiate advisor person mm-hmm. and stole the Dax symbiont, put it in him, <laughs> and went on the run for, like, what, 10 days? No, like, six months he oh, had the symbiont. Yeah. yeah. And Judzia now has to live with the fact that, like, one of her past hosts killed somebody. It's really a sign of her strength because they're saying, like, oh, like, this will be too hard for her to bear. How will she not let Torias's personality override her own? The thing is, it was already overriding her own. You yeah, know? exactly. So I, I feel like she felt like she did have a choice, obviously. Uh, but I think things were kind of at their worst. And even though he's the worst, it can it can still, you know, get better. Yeah. Uh, I also think that what he represents to the Trill homeworld 
is almost more important than whatever he did Mm -hmm. because the fact that he's living proof or memory proof Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, proof through memories that a symbiont can exist with someone who hasn't gone through the training and who isn't like chosen is really important and it adds again to my emphasis that if you are going on a transport with a trill, make sure you know what you're getting into and check your body to see if you can even host a trill so you can tell the doctors right away. Tell your um, doctor if you are <laughs> symbiont successful. Yeah. If you will reject a trill or not. I mean, I mean, Riker, dude. <laughs> you will reject a symbiont. But like, think about Riker. Yeah. Even Literally. it worked for him, but only for a little while. So he while. didn't he didn't he check the crusher. He was so sweaty. Yeah, uh, anyway. yeah. I do wonder, uh, just to take away for a moment, like what happened to Esri? Because there's no fallout about her being an emergency patient to have a trill. Maybe they're just covering it up and saying she was lucky that she um, well, are, matched. Totally. Yeah. Well, and. I think too it's it emphasizes the corruption within the ignitiant process how they erased all the files all the doctors pretty much made it a cover up it really shows how it's like very much gatekeep so really this episode is girl boss guest like gatekeep like we have really have all three. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah exactly well and I really feel like this raises a lot of questions about the whole process because the doctor breaks down at the end and says they would be torn apart, you know, by by people if they thought that everyone or like mm-hmm. half the population was able to be joined. Yeah. Um, they'd become like presents that would be bought and sold and put on the black market. Yeah. But I feel like she's also like with that mindset thinking like maybe they are gatekeeping from like other races of hosts. I think so. Um yeah. Or people who have a lower social status mm-hmm. um, or well, economic status. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know for certain, but all the trills I know are white, so. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Except for in Discovery, but Discovery yeah, is well, a game Dis- changer Discovery her. changes everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I just want to bring up to that I really want to shout out Terry Farrell and also I oh my god yes that we did not shout out Nana visitor like holy you know what she is amazing and her acting is incredible and same with Terry Farrell I just also want to say like shout out specifically Terry Farrell because of all of the bs she had to put up put up with with Rick Berman and how her character was similarly being just like written off you know a lot of the times and we've seen this with a lot of other women where like the edits take out the female characters first or the people of color first and so Mm -hmm. um yeah i just it's it's a shame really that there's like episodes even that are completely about dax she's like passed out half the episode and it's all about bashir and cisco finding all of these answers it's just like very frustrating yeah i actually thought this episode particularly she really got to display her acting chops Mm -hmm. because she is phenomenal in this episode the way that um she goes to like portraying the murderer guy and it's just it's like really amazing acting and she's like fainting and everything yeah i just really i really appreciate her and thank you for shouting her out Mm -hmm. yeah i i think I sometimes forget to talk about the actors themselves because Mm -hmm. 
I take them for granted. You know, I, yeah. I take for granted the amazing work and inspiring work that they do on the show. Yeah. So yeah, there's just shout out to everyone. Well, and there's something particular about Deep Space Nine that really strikes me all the time with the acting. And like, I know this isn't about women, but like when Avery Brooks did the last scene in uh, Far Beyond the Stars, he was mm-hmm. so like overtaken by the moment that it took him like five minutes to like come down from that, you know, and just like that sort of process you have to go through to get into the headspace of these characters who've been through so much and like it's really relating so much to our lives and maybe strike chords with them so deeply that like they can still act through all of this and still be these incredible characters it's just so cool yeah absolutely oh honestly i've been distracted since you shout out to avery books because i just yeah. that scene is really Bone powerful and it's moving so beautiful yeah. yeah the whole episode mm-hmm. yeah so, this episode is setting up to a later episode where Dax celebrates all of her hosts, um, which we talked about in the family series. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's interesting to know and comforting to know that something so toxic can exist inside someone so amazing and she still manages to function and be an amazing person. Exactly. And even at the end of the episode, she says, if you want to know who you are, you need to know who you've been. Yep, exactly. And that's so important because, like, that informs who we are and it helps us grow and learn and yeah. adapt because we got to keep adapting. Um, let's talk a little bit about Blood Oath. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing episode that I also just kind of forgot about. This is where we learn or remember <laughs> that Jadzia and Curzon specifically, basically all the Dax symbiotes, have a history with the Klingons. And mm-hmm. Curzon was really tight with these old Klingons. Yeah. Um, he was like, the ambassador to... Exactly, yeah, he was the ambassador. Probably. Yeah, probably, and... Oh my god, Before, wow. because he was a Kinemer. Oh, poor anyway. guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... There was a horrible thing that happened during the, like, Klingon War that um, the albino, which is, is the first mention of an albino Klingon, which yeah. of course Discovery mm-hmm. features very prominently um, a couple of albinos, but yeah. this guy, he got revenge on Dax and the Klingons for uh, overthrowing him. Yeah. As repayment, the albino killed all of their children and like first somehow sons. secretly oh yeah, it killed children. Yeah, killed their first... uh, The albino um, somehow poisoned all of the first children that they had, Some like, secretly, without knowing how. They, like, died of poison. Like, really awful. Um, And Curzon was the godfather to one of the children who was named after him. And so they all took a blood oath, um, which, you know, Klingons take oaths very seriously, yeah. that if they ever were to find the albino, they would kill him in revenge mm-hmm. for the lost children. Yeah. And I gotta say that that is a very cowardly way to kill somebody, for especially Klingon. Like It's, it's dishonorable. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Jadzia is facing now the question of, like, does she still have this bond in the blood oath? Because it will force her to have to kill somebody and it's you know not internal obligation to carry oaths past the or past the host lifetime i I just have to say that there's if student loans existed in ds9 absolutely 
the student loan would carry from host oh, to host. No, they would. Because like it was the symbiote. A pre existing condition. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Like the symbiont borrowed the money. So <laughs> you all need Party. to pay it back for the rest of your lives. And that worm borrowed money from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, so she's wondering, like, she is pretty much ready to go, and it's there's two Klingon holdouts out of the three. And then she slowly convinces the two of them, has to sort of rile them up. This is something I love about Judzia that does vary a lot from Esri, is that she is, Judzia is very entrenched in Klingon culture, and she really respects it and honors it, and Esri is kind of like, this is crazy, you guys are like over the top, you know, and all this stuff. And so it's interesting to see the distinction, you know, and to see, I, I just, I really love seeing Judzia in these sort of like Klingon episodes, because she has the heart of the Klingon. Yes. Th- this, these are the episodes that really are my favorite because I, my goal in life is to be Dax. Yes. And I really honestly have tried to model myself after her my whole life, ever since watching DS9. And seeing her with Klingons who are like my favorite species, yeah. it just like blows me away. Incredible. So like oh i love her so much because she again we're demonstrating that like everybody we've talked about pretty much in the show she has a really tough side yeah and she is really confident in herself and she knows her abilities and she's not afraid to show it and she goes up to the main klingon who doesn't want her to come on the blood oath we find out at, at the end it's because he's being paid by the albino to like lure them in for a trap Um, but he, so of course he doesn't want Judzia to go because he thinks she's going to die and she isn't technically obligated to fulfill this oath, but she says F you and she like gets a bat left from the holodeck and they have a fight and she could have easily taken him down. I think Mm -hmm. she was even going easy on him. I think she was too. Yeah. So she's a warrior. His honor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, he's older, but this guy like trains every day and she still took him down. And I don't think, I think she keeps up, but doesn't like train every day, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Oh my God. It's amazing. I love anytime Judzia has a bat lift. I'm just like swooning. I'm I'm Worf. Yeah. I'm dead. (laughs) Literally. Um, and her in Klingon clothes too. I'm just like, wow. Incredible. It's so amazing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there is something so honorable about her carrying on the blood oath and how she convinces everyone. She's like, maybe, like, she's like, today's a good day to live, people. Come on. Like, you all want to die in glorious battle, but let's live in glorious battle, you know? And she's always had that sense and that spirit. Um, and I think she gives a lot of that to Worf, you know? And it's just really cool to see how protective she is and how she will fight for her people and for those who she's like sworn to protect and i just love that quality about her yeah absolutely and i admire her also because throughout this whole episode uh two of the three klingons really do not accept her as being jadzia and she's continuously trying to prove that she has curzon's memories but she's yeah. still valuable as part of this team. And it's a lot that she has to do. She brings up a lot of really old memories and really specific memories to mm-hmm. these guys, trying to get them to trust her. There's one guy who's the meme who I love. Yes, and I think all their names I are like Kor, Clang, Clang, and, and Yeah, they all Cold start off. with K's. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there's one guy who's the who's the meme that, that is amazing, where... Um, 
he says, curse on my old friend while he's hugging her. And she said, it's my name's Jadzia now. And then he said, Jadzia, my old friend. And oh, it's like, boom, that. like that is exactly how it should be. That you is know? trans acceptance right there. Follow yeah. suit people. Like, yeah. And amazing. I, at this point, you know, this is season two, I believe. We haven't seen Jadzia really deal with this before. Mm-hmm. And again, like Esri's going to go through this too. But it's definitely a challenge for all the trills who grow up not on trail. Because I'm sure on trail, it's just second nature. You're like, oh, yeah. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. That's your name now, Susie. you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite symbiont. Susie the symbiont. It's, 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 it's Susie. <laughs> my name is Frank Susie. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, and... Ashlyn, you bring up a good point that I wanted to mention that I feel like they're talking very heavily about, like, trans allegories and stuff. But I think, too, at least from my experience, it's kind of like coming out. Like, you're never really done coming out as a queer Mm. person. And, like, there's always going to be someone new to come out to because people are always going to assume that you're straight. And so I think the fact that Judzia probably does do this all the time. We just don't see it on screen until this episode. I think about like any old person who knew Curzon or Torias or any of her previous hosts have done this, you know? And so I think you're right. It's second nature for them to just like, well, another day I got to keep correcting them on my pronouns or on my uh, name or whatever, you know, and, and also fighting the assumptions because now that she's a woman, like, they still there's still a lot of gender bias you know especially amongst Klingons and so I think it's really tricky for Judzia to navigate but she does it so gracefully and I just want to shout her out again because like that's really hard and I at least from my experience I know that like coming out over and over again can sometimes be exhausting Rihanna, thank you for adding that perspective. I have never thought about that in my life. So really, like, thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I, mean, it's just another reason why Star Trek is for everyone. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that, like, you see that, like, you see a different part of Judzia in yourself and that I do. That's so cool. Yeah. Because she's, she's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so she goes on this blood oath, <laughs> and she do- disobeys Cisco. We never see the repercussions of her like disobeying a direct order, but she doesn't kill him, the albino. But she thinks about it. <laughs> he he thinks about it. He challenges her directly. Yeah, and is like at the end. Also, I just want to say that it's only because Jadzia was there that they were able to be victorious Thank and actually you. kill the albino because. Jadzia has a great line. She says, if Curzon were here, you'd be out of luck. But luckily, Jadzia is a science officer. And so she figures out that they can disable all of the weapons that the albino has. And they can just do hand-to-hand combat. And these guys are all, like, level one NPCs. Yes. Ashley, that's so true. And I just love Star Trek when it does solving problems through science. That is, like, my very favorite thing. So Jadzia embodies that. Yeah, and I think it's a great mix in this episode because we've had so much like Klingon honor and duty and hand-to-hand combat and martial arts uh, to then introduce, oh, I have this amazing science background and I can help you out. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So shall we move on to the very last episode we discussed? Yes, please. And this is one that we did indeed talk about in our Love and Affection series, but it was too good to not talk about again. Gotta bring it up once more. (laughs) And that is, you are cordially invited. Ah. 
<laughs> I'm just I'm so happy. So first we learn that Dax has been three times a bride, two times a groom, and that she is letting Worf plan the wedding. She's like, I've I've planned enough weddings, I'm good. And I, I love this because it's this role reversal of genders and Worf has dreamed of a Klingon wedding with all the trimmings his whole life. So he's doing all the planning. And I like it though because it's not like he's a bridezilla or, you know, like the kind of stereotype either, you know, that he still has some like, sir, sure, some of the requests are a little unreasonable to Dax, but then she thinks about the culture and like the house that she's marrying into. And they come to this agreement. Yeah, and she has, I I mean, I talked about this earlier, some conflict with the mother-in-law. It's not really Worf's mother, but the house of Martok has graciously accepted Worf as his son Mm -hmm. um, into his house. And so Worf is now in the house of Martok. And so Martok's wife is there, and she is trying to train Dax and, like, prepare her for the ceremony, essentially. And sort they of vet her too. Yeah, exactly. Like saying, "Oh, you're not good enough for my boy." Mm-hmm. Um, she's extremely harsh on her, and Dax is so laid back about everything. Partially because, like you said, she's like sick of planning for weddings. Mm-hmm. She, it's not like she doesn't want to put in the effort. Like she's doing it for Worf, yeah. but if she had the choice, she wouldn't be doing she it. She just wants to be married. Like she's like, "Yeah, if I ain't it my way. We would just go to Cisco's office right now and get married." I think this is a great example of the both of them having to work through their stubbornness because Judzia does have this like unmovable stubbornness, very similar to Kira. I think honestly that's why her and Kira get along so well because they both understand that aspect of each other that like we are unmovable forces and sometimes that can be great and sometimes we get in our own way, you know, mm-hmm. and Judzia really come comes to realize that like she does need to sort of suck up to the mother-in-law and grovel back to her but i i one of my very favorite scenes is when um she's hung over the next morning after her crazy party yes um, and wharf is over there like you know accusing or like not accusing but just like of course very frustrated with her and is like you dishonored her sorella and she's like she pulled a knife and i just love it because she's like she pulled a knife so i punched her in the face <laughs> like yeah fair enough you know naturally but, oh it just uh it, it's such a good scene and i think it adds sort of these dimensions to both of their characters but dax in particular i kind of love getting to see her like not prim and proper in her ponytail i like to see her like post-party hasn't slept a wink is getting like a wrecked as you know double sweet from the <laughs> replicator like it's just that whole scene is absolutely amazing i mean once again like i look at her and i look at my life and i think i have created dax, <laughs> Manifested like, dax. i am dax i yeah. yeah i i love seeing that too and it definitely makes her more relatable like okay sometimes even dax gets hungover <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah that's so true um and, you know, and I think, like, this is really t- tough for her because she's going through this, these trials with Sorella earlier on in the episode, and she's called a slut at the party by Sorella. She is constantly belittled, and Dax points out, like, if I were a Klingon, you wouldn't be this hard on me. Um, and she is going through a lot just to get married. Like, I understand her frustrations, but I really do appreciate the fact that she can, like, kind of come off her 
um, frustration pedestal enough to like look around. That's not a good frustration pedestal. pedestal. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. She come her, off her frustration high horse. crown <laughs> or throne. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, like, high horse. I think is good. Yeah, she can come off her high horse just a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, it all pays off at the end, and I, there's, I think they're threatening that the wedding's off, you know, um, because yeah. she can't perform her duties, yeah. and uh, by the end, of course, everything works out, and they have this really beautiful wedding, yeah. and honestly, very inspiring wedding, and right? my husband's not listening, but because he <laughs> has never seen DS9, but I'm kind of going to secretly be weaving in like, um, some Klingon elements. <laughs> some Klingon yeah. elements. Yeah, oh, no, we're Ashland. having... Is your bachelorette party going to be blood, pain, <laughs> sacrifice, anguish, and death? I don't know, Rihanna. Uh, you're my maid of honor, so... <laughs> got to start yeah, playing I, it. <laughs> we, I, my husband and I, if you follow the podcast, you know we got married very quietly over COVID with only, like, immediate family members. Not even my mom and dad were there. It was Rihanna and my friends and then all of Danny's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So now we want, I, well, I want a real wedding, like a big, a giant one. So um, I'm having a bachelorette party. But yeah. yeah, I just, I love the relationship and my favorite, my favorite canon couple in yes. Star Trek, I think. Very, very good. Yeah. I just overall am so, so happy that we get to talk about these amazing women in Deep Space Nine and kind of quaking the fact that we're going to talk about Voyager next week. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, how are we... We talk about Jane way too much, even in podcasts where, like, she's not even in the series. I know. So, like, she... How are we going <laughs> to not have a five-hour podcast about Jane way only? She frequently comes up. Well, and I'm imagining our watch list already is going to be, like, ten Jane way episodes. Yeah. Like, Three a half-cast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Um, but before we go, we have... One more question. Ashlyn, who inspires you the most in Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Oh my god. Or a female identifying character? I this is a horrible question. I feel like when we had Gabby on and she was so angry about making us choose (laughs) a favorite character. I think this is an impossible choice. There are so many amazing women. I have a ten way tie. Yeah. Um I mean, I have to say Dax. I've been like dreaming about her this whole episode and I just, yeah, it's Dax. She is someone who is level-headed, incredibly smart, logical, romantic, passionate, um, knows what she wants and overall fantastic person and everybody's friend. Yeah. That's that's who I love. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. Yes. <laughs> Rihanna, out of all the women we've talked about today, who really inspired you from Deep Space Nine? <laughs> well, it's Dax as well. Mm. <laughs> I yep. was going to be original, but like, I can't be. You, you said it all. I have always been inspired by her, and my only sadness is that we didn't get more of her. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, I'm... Either way, I'm just so happy the episode's an incredible time we got with her, and I'm so happy we got to record this amazing episode, Ashlyn. Yeah, I've had a fun night in the studio. Um, (laughs) 
we have overcome some technical challenges, but you know, it is nothing that the Dura Sisters podcast hasn't done before. Oh yeah. We like in our share, I, I was actually just realizing because we get emails from random websites saying, come host your podcast on this website. <laughs> Someone emailed us, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago saying that we have over 50 episodes out now, Rihanna. And I think we're wow. getting close to 60 episodes out. Uh, Morale, yes. morale. Woo, woo, or she says. Yeah, over 60 episodes, or almost 60 episodes out, and I just think it's amazing, you know, how much That's we've incredible. done and how how much this podcast has grown. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also grown a lot because of our patrons. So I just want to take yes. a moment to shout out our patrons. A lot of what we, everything that we do is because of you and because we're able to have some financial support in making this podcast. So thank you to those patrons. Um, and thank you to Rihanna for having such a thoughtful and delightful discussion today. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm just so happy we're doing feminism right now. I'm really living in the moment. I really feel like, uh, whenever we hit the deep space nine episode, I'm really locked into the theme, you know, like this is where we really start hitting it. So yeah. 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 I'm just so I think I learned so much during these few hours we spend together recording episodes. And so thank you for growing with me and talking about these amazing ladies. Absolutely. I also kind of think we should rebrand. I know we're kind of a philosophy podcast, but Mm -hmm. it's Loki kind of a Star Trek Bible study group. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where Star Trek is our religion, but don't worry, it's not the Paw Wraith religion. Yeah. (laughs) Again, I told you it was Landru. (laughs) Landru is the one. I'm going to, I'm about to go to sleep and pray to Landru and hope hope he uh, keeps my electricity on tonight. Only if you praise him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Landry special. We (laughs) really appreciate all of our listeners so much. And we especially want to send a shout out to our listeners in Ukraine and the people all over Europe who are being affected by the war, which is a absolutely insane thing to have to say on a podcast that we're in a war. Um, So... Yeah. Also, thank you to everyone who has just uh, joined us because they heard about us through either Picard Week, that strange new pod hosted, Mm -hmm. or the fundraising event we did for Ukraine, which was hosted by the Clone Star podcast. We had a really amazing back-to-back couple weeks recording live. Yeah, it was really fun to record live. Tiring, but really rewarding. I think we raised like $3,700 for Ukraine for the British Red Cross that goes to support ukraine so yeah once again just like thank you listeners thank you star trek and thank you rihanna for tuning in today thank you ashley thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast please tune in next week for the fourth episode of our feminism series where ashlyn and rihanna will discuss the amazing women in star trek voyager please follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our merch on Threadless and our content on Tumblr and TikTok. All links can be found in the bio of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, a review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek Trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. 
If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by Rihanna Hurd and me, Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro was written by Jerry Goldsmith. These guys are all like level one RPGs. <laughs> RPGs. <laughs> Who do you think drinks the most respects women's juice? <laughs> Respect women juice? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> okay.